0: It is poetic. It has this wonderful language in it's different than many of the other books. We're not even quite sure who wrote it. Uh, probably Paul, but it could have been Barnabas. Barnabas is an encouraging person. But think about the time frame it's written. It's written about. It's one of the earlier books of the New Testament. And if it if it people I'm reading are right, that what happens? In, does anyone remember what happens in seventy two A.D.? The temple is destroyed. What is the temple to Jews? It's the center point of their worship, their religion. Everything revolves around the temple. But um, there's a Jewish revolt, and in retribution the Romans come in and sack and destroy the temple. And suddenly there is no more temple. And this this is a book written to Jewish Christians. So their world has been shaken. And many of them, by the way, were also driven out of the city, were forced to leave their homes, had lots of, uh, many of them lost family members, and so on during this time. And as I was thinking of that, I was thinking, we're not the only people in the world that have lived through a year of different shakenness. Our world has been shaken. It's okay, because we have something bigger. And, And think about what the writer of Hebrews does with the book of Hebrews. He begins by saying, Long ago, and at many times, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Okay. Long ago, and at many times, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. This is how God spoke to us as a people in the past. Now, he says, but in these last days, now not the last days, but in the days leading up to him writing this, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son." Jesus. This is in Hebrews 1, in case you're looking. Um, And then he says something about Jesus. and I've I've said this before. He says, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. What does it mean to be an heir? It means that you're a child of the Father. So, an heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So the Son was there. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. He has the very same DNA as God. Isn't that beautiful? Now listen. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe. And people in that world would have been very familiar with a statue of Atlas, the Greek god, carrying the world on his shoulder. You've seen this statue? The man's like this, and he's got the world on his shoulder. Like, oh, it's the heavyweight. It's not. It, it's, it actually carries the idea that he conveys the world on his shoulders. Think about this. Jesus holds the world. He holds our world on his shoulders. So beautiful. He's the exact imprint of God. He looks just like God. That's God's Son. And he holds the world on his shoulders. And let, here's the beautiful part. That word hold... Does not, it, it, it does not mean just hold still, static. It, it, carries, it carries the idea of sustaining and movement. So he moves the world on his shoulder. But there's something solid there because he's holding it. So that is all. You, you have to understand that to understand that these are people whose world has been shaken. And he goes through and he compares Jesus in the book of Hebrews to many different things. To Moses. To the prophets, to the angels. And at the end of the day, whenever he writes this, Jesus always comes out better. He is better. And another phrase that is repeated repeatedly, repeated repeatedly, in Hebrews is let us. So it's action on our part. And that's where I want to pick up something today in Hebrews chapter 12. So he's saying all these things. And he's going through, uh, chapter 11 is a faith chapter. You've thought about this, the hall of faith. Let me just catch up you up on a little bit of the end of chapter 11. We'll begin reading. I love to read all of it. But we'll begin reading at verse 32. He's gone through Moses and Abraham and Sarah and, and many others. But, and, and the children of Israel, Rahab, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets... "...who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received their back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life, others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment, they were stoned." They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commanded, commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, where he says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is about Jesus holding up our world. Now think about the, the words that I read in, in chapter 11 about these people. Some of them, you, you have these ideas of their mighty deeds. They, they brought justice. They escaped the power of the fire, escaped, or quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in weakness. But then some of them were sawn in two. Isaiah. Others suffered mocking and flogging. They were killed with the sword. They were stoned. Some of them were very poor, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. But the one thing that all of them had in common is they were looking to Jesus. It is my idea, it is a scriptural idea, that the old, we sometimes think about the Old Testament and think they were saved differently. No, they weren't. They were saved in the very same way that you and I are. They're saved by looking at the Messiah. it's It's on the other side of the cross. The cross is the center point of history. And people in the past were saved by looking at the cross. Just as we are saved by looking at the cross. And it takes just as much faith for us to look back at the cross of Jesus. As our deliverance point. As it did for them to look forward. And so we are saved the very same way. It is about Jesus, the Son of God, coming down from heaven and now upholding the world. So he says, he gives us something to think about. He says, let us lay aside also every weight. Sorry, let me read that again. Well, let's back up. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. By the way, that word cloud is not the idea of one single cloud in the sky kind of floating along a puffy cumulus cloud or a cirrus cloud kind of edged in the sky. It means cloud cover, like heavy cover. Since we are surrounded by the fog. Anybody ever drive up a mountain and drive into the clouds? Since we are surrounded by the fog, this great fog of witnesses, And uh, witnesses here is not spectators. They're not just cheering. They're active participants. They're in our journey. He said, let us also, and that's a key word, also, lay aside. It gives the idea that the great cloud of witnesses laid aside something. And in the very same way, he's calling us to lay aside something. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Now, what are major things that hinder us from a close relationship with God? And this is where it becomes really practical, I think, for us to think about this coming year as we think about our own relationships with God. What are the things that, that hold you back? What are the weights that hold you back? Let me, just, uh, let me just suggest that there are three major ones that all of us have wrestled with and maybe everyone throughout history has wrestled with. The first of all, first of those, and uh, let me let me set it in this context. Uh, some of you run, I walk, um, and and I, I know some of you run quite distance. And what is it that you need to do to become a good runner? Well, you need to train, but you also you 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 remove things that may be hindrances. Let me suggest. Let me ask you, what would it look like if you saw Brent running uh, through the Walnut Creek Valley on Gerber Valley Road? Is that where you run, Brent? Go down to Walnut Creek Mennonite and run. Okay, we'll pick that. From Walnut Creek Mennonite East, you, you came around the curve there by that farm and you saw Brent running. And on his back, he had a gigantic backpack. And you know it's very heavy because it's pulling him down like this. Now, what would you think about Brent if you saw that? What would you want to tell him? Take it off. Now there's something to be said for running with weights. I know all that. But let's suppose Brent joins a 5K. He, he runs the Millersburg 5K. That, or the Amish Country marath- Half Marathon that he runs. He runs that in a 5K. And he comes, when he comes that morning, he's got a backpack full of rocks on. Now what would you think about Brent? A little... He needs some further correction. Listen, that backpack on Brent's back is like the backpack that many of us carry in the race of life when we have unresolved relationship issues, bitterness and anger. And I'm human enough to have experienced those and experienced those on a regular basis, and I know you do too. And you you will not be able to run well with this great cloud of witnesses as they did unless you are willing to bring that backpack of bitterness and anger to the feet of Jesus who upholds the world and let him carry the weight of that. Unresolved relationships are often found in the matrix of family relationships. And I'm not picking on anyone in particular here when I say these things. I'm just thinking about my own experience. And uh, when I was about 17 years old, 16 years old, when you're 16, you're pretty arrogant and proud, and you're pretty proud of your ability to work. You're strong, at least if you're a boy. I went to work one day, and uh, like about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, by the way, I had the most boring job in the world. How would you like to be on the other end of a resaw, and all day you stacked little pieces of lumber like that, Eight hours, just pull them off and stack them. And by, by about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, I lost all heart for working. And, you know, they'd pile up, and then I'd quick do a little bit, and finally the guy at the other end of the resaw came over, and he lit into me. And boy, did he let me have it. And then he said, your dad always said you weren't much of a worker. And something inside of me died right at that moment. Because what does every son want from his father? And in my brain, I said, I know my dad didn't say that. But in my heart, I embraced it. And it turned my heart against my father in a big way. And in, a, in that During this process, my dad also um, had to go find another job, and he was gone a lot. And it's almost like it died. And I carried the weight of that, the backpack of that, everywhere I went. And it ate at me. It, It was like nuclear waste inside of me. Every time somebody said something about work or my dad... You know, I picked up the pace and it just it, it ate at me. It is very similar to, um, in, in, the, in, in the I just read a, recently read a story about a, medi- uh, a trash dump in Brazil. And medical facilities had dumped radioactive isotapes from uh, x-rays and so on, had dumped them illegally into this landfill. And kids were out there playing with this stuff and were rubbing the stuff on them. It was radioactive. And they ingested this radioactive waste, and it sat inside of them and just kind of burned away. And many of them are ending up with cancer because they had carried that. And let me tell you something. Unresolved relationships and bitterness and anger. You know, my heart, my heart turned at that man. I won't tell you who it was. Um, my heart turned at that man, but my heart turned in an even bigger way at my dad. And whether he said that or not, I became very bitter at my dad. It was like that radioactive inside my body just ate away. Anger and bitterness is like that. It takes a lot of energy to live. And when I was about 30 years old, this is uh, 14 years after the time, I was a successful, I had started one business, I ran one business successfully, started another one, and was now teaching at a, Elite Mennonite run Bible school. But I still was always looking for that next word. And it was my second term. My first term went extremely well. And students signed up with like droves for my classes the second term. And I went into my class and it fell flat. Uh, Now, none of you were there, but. it, just, it fell. And I remember one night going down to this little cabin that we lived and throwing myself across the bed and saying, I am a total failure. I'm just a failure. I cannot do anything right. And that's such a lie. But it, it came out of this bitterness and anger inside of me. And I remember just uh, crying and crying. And then I went and sought some, some advice from somebody. And, and this dear friend was able to show me how carrying that bitterness and anger for all these years and trying to live up to that bitterness and anger. It ruled my life. And I was able to come to Jesus and just kneel down with that friend of God. I choose to release those things. Now that doesn't mean I forgot it. Or that it went to, or the urge to think about those things went away. It means that I am giving it to somebody else to carry. And suddenly, the best words I can explain is I got up and I felt free. I could breathe. I could run. The backpack is off. Now I ask you, what are you carrying? How would it feel to go into 2021 with laying those things down? And by the way, it isn't just a one-time laying down. It's a continual laying down. By the way, it, 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 another thing I should tell you, it revolutionized my relationship with my father when I did that. I chose, I wrestled and wrestled with this and I chose to never go back and ask my dad, did you say that? I chose instead to say, God, if he did, I forgive him. Because I know he was going through a difficult time during this time. And I reached out to my dad and the last 20 years of our relationship, was so powerful. He was the most powerful man in my life. But it was because I was willing to lay down the burden of hatred, bitterness, and anger. The second thing that burdens us, by the way, there are scriptural examples of this. Jacob and Esau. Absalom and Amnon. Joseph is a positive example of this. Where Joseph forgave his brothers and they came back. I've thought about this story. They come back and they are so scared of him. They are so scared of him. And he says, brothers, brothers, brothers. I forgave you a long time ago. I chose not to carry that. And it's what has made me successful. The only reason that Joseph could be successful as the ruler of Egypt was because he had laid down that burden. And I invite you to do the same. I invite us to do the same. The second thing is if you have unaddressed guilt in your life. So the first one is a backpack of bitterness. The second one is if you'd see Kendrick running, uh, I won't ask you how far you've run, but he runs far. If you'd see him running one day with a suitcase, a Samsonite, swinging along, uh, you'd think that man has lost it. But many of us carry a heavy suitcase of unaddressed guilt in our lives, and I have I have done this as well. Um, this is not so much about what others have done to us as what we have done that has generated shame and regret. And a guilt, we often—it's usually it, experienced as a feeling, but you could actually call it spiritual pain. What pain is actually good, by the way? Do you know that pain is good? Because if, if there's a, a leprosy patients, people who have leprosy do not uh, the disease doesn't make their digits fall off. What the disease does is it numbs the nerve endings, and they can't feel, and so they do things to their body that injures it, and because there's no blood flow there, it it, it they they start breaking off essentially. Uh, leprosy patients, uh, there's a great book called The Gift of Pain by Paul Brandt and Philip Yancey that all of you should read. But they talk about leprosy patients and how on a hot stove a leprosy patient, may go, uh, pers- a leper may go over and just touch the hot stove and not think about it. What, think about what that does. But the ability to feel pain when you touch that hot stove is what makes your hand go back like that. Okay. So pain is good in that it's a reactor. And guilt is not all bad. We sometimes make guilt bad. But guilt is not all bad because guilt is like spiritual pain. When you're feeling guilt, you need to ask yourself, have I done something that needs to be addressed? Now, there is also such a thing as false guilt. And and we have, we have kind of lost the idea of when we bring our sins, and sins, notice the sins that so easily beset us. When we bring our sins to Jesus, He forgives us us. And forgiveness means a release from the guilt and the shame of carrying that ourselves. We are letting Him carry it. But if you have unaddressed guilt in your lives, things that you have done, and if your conscience is speaking to you and you choose to ignore that, you add to the burden and you will never be able to run. (coughs) By the way, carrying a lot of guilt also takes a lot of emotional energy. Think about Joseph's brothers. They come down to Egypt and they said, this is what they said, Oh, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us because of that? They were very guilty in their souls. And then Reuben, of course, says, didn't I tell you not to do that? And that's exactly what happens when people are doing that. And, and when we have that kind of, the consequences of unaddressed guilt are often drivenness and hiddenness. Because you can't let anybody in, because if you let them in, they may see that piece of you. So the only way to deal with, uh, well, let me say this. If, if, guilt, if anger and bitterness is like radioactive waste, then guilt is like a giant ice block inside of you. And the only way to get rid of the ice inside of you is to open up the doors of your heart and let the sun, the warmth of Jesus, shine in and melt it. It's the only way to get rid of it. The third thing, suppose you saw me walking Theo and I was carrying my heavy book bag packed full of books on one hand and on one shoulder. You would think, I wonder if he's building strength or not very smart. And you'd conclude that not very smart would be the right answer. But when we have untreated pain, when we've been humiliated, we've had failure, we've been abused, romances have gone bad, we've been rejected, we face betrayal, and when we don't deal with those things by taking them to Jesus, they're like fire that sits inside of us and smolders. And when, the, when air hits that fire, it bursts into flame. Did you ever uh, meet somebody and you started talking about something and you suddenly realize that they are reacting? Woo! That ever happened to you, it has happened to me. And that reaction is often caused by pain. And when you have unresolved pain, when you have pain that is sitting in your life, and, and you aren't willing to do anything with that. Or you want to just kind of keep it and say, no, that's my pain. I'm not going to let anybody share that pain with me. It's like fire sitting in, and then nobody can get close to you because there will always be a risk of that thing smoldering and breaking in the flames. Don't minimize that. Um, you know, Our memories are deep wells of the past. And we do not, no one in here has perfect forgetfulness. Only God has perfect forgetfulness. You don't. And when bad things have happened to you, and and you haven't brought those to to Jesus, and let him bring healing to those places. You're carrying a burden that isn't yours to carry. So I'm suggesting, as we look at this passage, that anger and bitterness, guilt, and unresolved pain are things that all of us have had to wrestle with. And I'm also telling you this morning that the only place to find deliverance And healing from the weight of those things so that you can run well is at Jesus, at the cross of Jesus. And you can ask, well, how do you do that? I'm telling you, it is this simple. You kneel down and you tell Jesus about what it is. And you ask him to bring deliverance and healing to you. I would suggest you do it with somebody. So there's accountability there. But it is that simple. It is not complicated. Jesus wants to carry your burdens. And when Jesus upholds and sustains the world, that means he takes not only the physical world and the things of the physical world, he also takes all the emotional pain, baggage, guilt, and trauma of this world, and he says, let me carry that for you so that you can run well the race. As we go into 2021, we've had a a different year in the past, in 2020. As we go into 2021, how about we resolve to become better runners? How about we resolve to deal with the things inside of us that hold us back from being who God wants us to be? That can be church pain, it can be family pain, it can be current pain, it can be past pain, it can be things that you've been hiding, it can be... All the anger and bitterness that I carried along with me. You may have those. But bring them to the feet of Jesus. That's the only place you will find deliverance. Let's stand together. Worship team. As they come up, let's look at verse 2 yet. Looking to Jesus, the founder of And the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross.